0: Last couple of weeks, I've been talking about the intentionality of God and, and how powerful uh, that is. And uh, one of the things that the Lord's been awakening in my heart is, you know, we have a lot of encounters with God. So uh, last couple of weeks, I talked about why, why intentionally he invites us into promise. And last week, why he intentionally invites us into prophecy and the prophetic and uh, sometimes we, we like to look at all the things that God does, but we miss the value of why he's even doing them. And so a, a lot of us have had encounters with God uh, in our private time, our prayer time, something happened, and, and we went through that encounter. The question is, uh, how has that encounter uh, uh, affected you? Uh, what kind of an impact did it make on your life to the point where all of a sudden you, you know from that moment on that you, you were different? It changed you. It, it affected you for long term. So I, I want to talk a little bit tonight about the intentionality of the Father and, and what that looks like. And I've, I've been, I've been kind of looking at this, this scripture I'm going to be talking about tonight for a while. And, but uh, I want to make a statement before we start. God is, is not still working on perfecting his kingdom. It's already been perfected. You, you need to know that. Because sometimes we act like God's coming up with spontaneous ideas to move and, and function in our life, which is not reality. He's who he is, period. And so the kingdom has already been perfected. The cool thing about it is you and I are invited in to partner with the kingdom that is within us. So he takes us on this journey, this place of partnering with it, and he's trying to actually perfect the kingdom that is already there. He's trying to get us to grasp it, to understand who we are and, and who, who we're, you know, what our relation to it is. And we see Jesus talking about the kingdom. He said, You know, they, they, they were getting on to him about casting out demons. He said, Well, if I cast out demons, the kingdom has come. And then he made this statement to us the kingdom of God is within you. He, I mean, he has all these statements about the kingdom. So, in fact, he's actually trying to move you into a place of actually discovering the kingdom that's already established in you. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Here's what's cool about that. You have everything you need to be sons and daughters of God. And so I think sometimes we keep asking God for certain aspects of a relationship that we already have. So I've been trapped in this scripture of John chapter 20, uh, 10, verse 27 now, for about three and a half months I don't think I've ever been in one little verse in three and a half months. And the Lord's been unpacking this for me and I wanna read it to you from um, the Amplified Classic Bible. It says, the sheep that are my own hear and are listening to my voice and I know them and they follow me. Let me just unpack it a little bit for you. Uh, The sheep that are my own, that word own in the Greek language means kin and it means to be of the same bloodline. How many of all you know, you're where you are because the blood of Jesus was shed for you, right? You've been adopted into a new kingdom. You've been adopted into a new relationship. And the word here means to understand. Here's what God says. The sheep that are my own understand. He's saying they actually understand me. You know, we, we quote this scripture. In the Old Testament, and sometimes we, we take it for the wrong meaning, but if you break it down in the Hebrews it says, Jesus uh, said, God said, my thoughts are not your thought, my ways are not your ways. God wasn't saying that my ways can't be your ways or my thoughts be your thoughts. Because all through the New Testament, we're actually invited into this encounter with God to have the mind of Christ. Right? Then he says in, in, in uh, Acts, he says, as I am in the world, so are you. So he's actually given that invitation. So the invitation in the Old Testament was, hey, I, my thoughts are different than yours and my ways may be different than yours, but I just want you to know, because you're connected to the kingdom, you actually have an invitation into a gain, engage with both of them. That should excite us. Why put a kingdom in us if we wouldn't have access to something powerful? So that's what he's talking about here. And he says they are listening. That's intentional right now. It's not having, you, you have listened at one time or you're going to listen. Our listening is we tune our ears into the voice of God where we actually start to do our journey with him in such a way that it radically changes us. And I've hoped through this that when we're talking about intentions with God, that every place you go, if it's Walmart, it's at work, it's over to your friends, it's, you know, who you play b-ball with, whatever it is, whatever it looks like for you, that you're starting to get to the place where you're intentional about listening to what God is speaking to you in that moment. Because we are prophetic people. God's always on. And he's always wanting us to hear his voice. So this word, our listening to my voice, the word voice is language in the Greek, to be seen, listen to all these parts of the voice. So to hear his language, to be seen, he makes himself seen to you. Then he says to think, think like he thinks, and then he says to appear. That's what this word voice means. It's a language, it's to be seen, it's think, it's to appear to. We get all these four aspects of who God is for us just from his voice, We've totally underestimated this scripture, right? I don't know if you've ever had a scripture you opened up and you go, okay, why the heck haven't I seen that? Like this is probably one of the most simplest scriptures in the Bible like we do with lots of scripture. But because sometimes we don't just pick it apart and we see what God's actually trying to say. He said, and, they, and I know, I know. That means to feel, perceive, to be sure, and understand. He's saying that about us. I know how you feel. I understand. And you can be sure that I understand who you are. Basically, what he's saying is, I really know you. What a deception when we think God doesn't know us. When we actually think we're doing something we can get away with. Come on, let's be real. You know, my kids, my my wife could read my kids like a book. Well, Noah would rat on himself all the time anyway. She just knew when stuff was going on. And then he says, I know them and they follow me. Now, listen to this word, follow me. It's the Greek word to accompany. It's two people doing a journey together. But I love the Hebrew definition of this. The Hebrew translation of this word is called alphan. It means first. Here's what he's saying. They follow me. They put me first. I lead, they follow. What did he say to the disciples? Come lead me? He said, Come follow me. So we have this aspect of following. But the root word in the Greek, listen to this this is powerful. The root root word to this follow me in the Greek means the same as. What a word. That's why Jesus said in, in the epistles, as I am in the world, so are you. Have you ever ever met friends of yours, that fathers that have sons, and after you're with them a little while, you go, oh my gosh, they're just like you. And you argue, no, they're just like their mother. And they say, no, they're just like you. They're just like you. So this is a powerful revelation that God's giving us here. Here's what I'm learning. If I'll start pursuing hearing the right voice, it really helps me make the right decisions. I believe most of, most of the wrong decisions we make is, be, is because we haven't pursued his voice first. Come on, how many of us just just jumped into stuff without even praying about it? I got to the point where when I would go to the hospitals because we have this pastoral ritual that we go through. We have a little book of prayers. We walk in and, and we have a prayer that we're supposed to say. And, and I just remember going in the hospital and just feeling so unaffected over and over again. And one day I was sitting in the car and I was like, Lord, I don't know if I even want to go in today and visit some folks. He said, listen, why don't you ask me what you need to pray? And all of a sudden I began to be seen, I began to see people get touched. I really began to see people be ministered to. Not because I was, I've discovered this deep truth, just that I took time to say, Lord, I need to hear your voice. See, when you're not hearing the voice of God, what happens is uncertainty comes into your life. That's the power of the voice of God. It's meant to keep you from uncertainty. If you're not engaging with that voice, it robs you. Of, of your identity to some degree, it actually robs you uh, from being constant. Uh, one of the things I'm learning about my relationship with Jesus, because he always wants to be with me, he always wants to spend time with me, he always wants, he's constant, and he wants me to be as constant as he is. How many of y'all know intimacy is constant? You know, you may go your separate ways for the day to do your job, but you're still Constant. You're texting, now, now you've got all kinds of, now, it, actually, now you're not unreachable, which is almost scary. I remember back on the days when I had a pager to do everything in ministry. And you had to find a phone somewhere to call, <laughs> right? Anybody know those glorious days? Weren't they fantastic at some point? I mean, they were somewhat amazing. Now, everybody meets you. Every solicitor can text you. They can email, and you don't have any. You think you're unsubscribing, but the reality is you never really do. They just get mad and sell your email to 10 other companies. Right? Right? So we have this constant voice, these voices speaking to us to the point where sometimes we get so distracted, we're not actually listening to the voice that matters the most. Without communication, it's hard to have intimacy. And the sad thing about uncertainty is it leads you into doubt. And the word doubt means to lack confidence in, to consider unlikely to not believe or accept something as truth. And it happens. At most of the times in my life where I've, I've dealt with doubt or a lack of confidence is because I'm not sure if I'm hearing the voice of God. It's, God, is this you right now? You know, the more you spend time with somebody, the easier it is to recognize their body. My, When my wife calls me, I don't have to say, who is this strange lady? What do you want? I just go, hey, honey. I do that with some of my my friends. I know their voice when I pick up the phone. My question is, what is the value of this verse? What is the full value of this verse? This verse is actually full of sonship truth. When I say sonship, I mean both son and daughter. This whole little verse... And this verse is telling us that Jesus is the catalyst for all of our spiritual development. And that's the word I'm gonna read you out of the Bible, that word catalyst. He is the catalyst for all of our spiritual. He is the agent that provokes, that speeds up significant change and action in our life. He's the guy. That's why we have to engage. That's why we have to connect to the voice. That's why Acts 17, 28 says, in him we live, we move, we have our being. If you look in the King James, it says we exist. That word exist in the Greek means to continually keep on being. It's not a one-time event. It's not like I am. You are, but you have to pursue the intimate relationship with you that you have with the Father. So you keep on growing, keep on being. The worst thing that can happen to you is that you're not listening. If you're not listening, you're not growing. So he calls us into this place of intentionality. Why? Because he wants us to discover the kingdom within us. I was reading this verse, Acts 17, 28. This is what the Holy Spirit said when he says, when, when, when the writer, Paul said, in him we live, we move, and have our being. Here's what he was saying. Whatever fullness Jesus had available to him in living, moving, and being is now available to us. Did you get it? In him, we live, we move, and have our being. So whatever he had available in him living, moving, and having his being and existing, he said that fullness is now available to you. See, I, I think we're, we're underscoring our identity. And, and we're, we're living in a time right now where the world needs to bride more than it's ever needed it before. Where, where the world needs the church to come forth and, and have the voice and, 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 and flow in what God wants us to flow in. And this is so real. Listen to John 1 and 16. And from the overflow of His fullness, somebody say, of His fullness, His fullness, we receive grace heaped upon more grace. Let me give you a couple of thoughts about grace grace does not overlook sin. It doesn't say, oh, you're going to do something wrong. Just wait. Go ahead. Father, I didn't say it. That's not what it does. Grace actually empowers righteousness. It is not permission. It's position. Grace positioned you to change, to be different, to choose the right thing to walk in the righteousness that God has placed upon your heart. And and we're either in, in, you know, we're kind of really, really hot with truth or really, really cold with truth, but it seems like somehow we fall into this lukewarm concept of what truth looks like. We can't seem to find the balance. And the thing about grace is grace is the atmosphere in our lives that is actually created by love. Listen, grace is a person. His name is Jesus. Without him, there'd be no grace. He is the New Testament constant atmosphere of this thing that this atmosphere that's created by this love, and he calls it grace. Let me give you another scripture. He prayed this in John 17, 21 23. The Passion Translation, talking about intimacy. I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me for the very glory. You know, I preached years ago, probably before my time, uh, before this revelation probably even kept, years and years ago. Way back when I was in Calhoun, I preached a message called, We Are the Glory. We are the glory. So watch, this word glory means to honor, to praise, to think, to be of reputation or of the same. He's showing us who we are in relationship to him. For the very glory you have given to me, I have given to them. Watch, so that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. Are you getting the power of this verse? (laughs) You will live fully in me, and now I live fully in them. Jesus said, Father, you've lived fully in me. I was your glory, now I live fully in them. The glory you departed to me, I have now departed to them. I mean, this is not a rocket science verse so that they may experience the perfect unity. This is love. This is the purity of our relationship. This is what God wants us to get. And the world will be convinced that you sent me, watch this, for they will see that you love each one another. You love each one. Each one of them with the same passionate love, watch this, that you have, that you have for me. Jesus is going through this engagement. He says this in Luke 17 21, and I know I give lots of scripture because hey, Scripture speaks better than for itself than anything I could say. Nor will people say, look, here it is, or see, it is among you. Or see it is there. Watch this. For behold, the kingdom of God is where? In your what? And what? Among you? And where else? It's everywhere. It's here, it's here, it's here. The kingdom of God. You reach out and touch it. Can't see with the natural eye, but it's there. Everything that's in the kingdom is there. Healing's right there. Don't you wish God could take your, your fleshly eyes off and give you spiritual eyes, and, you, and you'd be like playing one of those 3D video games or whatever they're called. but the, You'd be going... I'll take some of that. I'll grab some of that. And the core of what he's talking here is Christ's likeness it's the mind, the heart, the internal position, and external position of Christ as a man and dwelt by God. You know what we do in here, right on Sunday? We equip you and empower you to go out there and be this. If we're just doing this because this is our thing, it loses its power. Our goal is not to be an organization. Our goal is not to be a denomination. Our goal here is to be the bride. That's it. We just want to represent the kingdom of God. So he invites us into this place. It's an intentional invitation to experience him. So let me read you a couple of scriptures. They won't be up, so if you're taking notes, write these down. Philippians 2 and 5 says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. 1 John 4 and 17, I just read, as he is, so are we in the world. 1 Corinthians, am I going too fast? Sorry, 11 and 1. 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 says, be imitators of me. This is Paul talking, as I am of Christ. Can you imagine me getting up here and saying to you guys, you guys need to be just like me because I'm exactly like Christ. You'd go, oh, whatever. Who do you think you are? This is what Paul's doing. He's saying, no, don't get an attitude with me. Paul's saying, be like me because I am like Christ. Romans 8 and 29 says, for he knew all about us before we were born. And he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. You getting it? He destined us from the beginning. Romans 8 and 29. This is the passion translation. That means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. Are you feeling it? Because I've been feeling it all week. I've been feeling it for months. God's trying to get us here from here to here. He's trying to get us to a place where we can embrace this. And if you have time, you want to study a good book, study Ephesians 4. The whole chapter is about identity. It'll rock your world. It'll explain to you who you are. So here's what I want to talk really about. You need to know there are two laws that govern your life right now not like the world, we got all kinds of laws. You have two main laws that govern your life and power your identity. There are two laws that Jesus talks about in the New Testament, and I preached on this years ago, but the word governed here means a sovereign in authority. It means to control, it means to direct, it means to strongly influence the actions and conduct of our life, this is the actual definition you can look up governance the definition you'll find to exert a determining or guiding influence in or over our lives so jesus came to minister to the jewish people and he gives them this law these two laws and and and, and the sad thing about the two laws is we get to choose which one we're going to live in you you're not forced listen you're not forced to engage with the kingdom you have a will. You're a free will agent. If you didn't have a will, it, there would be no relationship, because relationship takes two people with a will coming into agreement. That's what a covenant is. Me saying I do and you saying you do. That's what. That's why they do the whole marriage thing for. So he's actually wanting to present this truth to a bunch of Jewish people. So, what are the gods that the the, the laws that are governing your life? Write them down. This is the laws. The law of spirit, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit in Christ Jesus and the law of sin and death. The problem with most of us is we try to live in both. Right? It's kind of like, let me say it this way this will hit home kind of like I want to be I want a wife but I want a girlfriend too I want to be home all week but I want to be somewhere else on the weekend I want this and I want that and, and the Bible has he actually defines that in revelations he calls it lukewarmness you're neither hot nor cold you're not burning for me or you're you're burning for me or you're not burning me but the, the whole lukewarm thing he just wants you to know it never really works it's like living with half of, the, half of, the, uh, uh, of an identity. It'd be like me saying to you, what's your first name? My name's Fred, what's your last name? Don't have a clue. So I know somebody gave me the name, but I don't really know where I come from. I know somebody, I know somebody attached this name to me, but I don't know who my father is. It's a very serious thing. And, and both these laws are powerful enough. So a law... Is this control brought about by the existence or enforcement of something? One, one translation of this word by the dictionary, Webster Dictionary, I have an early, 18, late $1,800 Webster Dictionary, which is the coolest thing you ever see because every word has a scripture in the dictionary. It's really cool. But here's a definition of a law. A binding custom or practice of a community It's a rule of conduct or action that is prescribed to us. And there are laws in the word of God that govern or govern our lives. So go to Romans chapter 8. There's only two. I'm going to show you this. I'm going to try to do as quick as I can. Hopefully you're with me. Hopefully you're taking notes. Romans 8 and 2, this Amplified Classic. For the law of the spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus... He goes on to say, the law of our new beginning has freed us from the law of what? Sin and death. Let me read it from a couple translations. It won't be up there, but let me read them. This is the passion translation. For the law of the spirit of life flowing through the anointing of Jesus has liberated us from the law of sin and death. If you're King James guru, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Listen to the message. I, I, I just sometimes love reading the message for the sake of reading the message. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, the fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under the, under the continuous, low-lying, black cloud. Listen. Amazing, a new power is in operation. the spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from the faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. i I, I think he was getting rocked when he wrote this verse out. So Jesus gives us two laws, right? the whole Old Testament. He, He quotes laws from the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he actually gives us two laws. And you'll see it working in this way. Watch this. Romans 3 and 27, New King James Version says, these are the two same laws. He just describes them differently. Where is the boasting then? Is it excluded by what law? Of works? No, but the law of faith. The law of works, no, but the law of faith. The law of life in Christ Jesus is the law of faith. The law of works is the law of sin and death. I'm going to show you here in a moment, okay? So what, what is faith? Faith and trust and hope are built on one thing, love and intimacy. Faith, hope, and trust are built on one thing, intimacy, love. Love. And we see this prophetically if you go if you have time when you go home, Exodus chapter twelve verse twenty one to twenty four actually prophesies about this new law about Jesus coming, how he would trans transform this new law which would would enable us to do relationship with God from a totally different place than the Old Testament established. you know I still find i'm I'm trying to do relationships from a religious place sometime. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Huh? Or from a legalistic place. That's the old law. There was a new law required. Listen to Romans 3 and 27 again. The law, a law of the spirit of Christ Jesus, not of works, not of works, a law of sin of death, Romans 7 and 5 says this, when we were merely living natural lives, the law, through defining sin, actually awakened sinful desires within us, which resulted, listen to this, in bearing the fruit of death. I could give you all kinds of scriptures. I made this statement last week, and it it hit me so hard when when the Lord gave it to me. He said to me, do you want a part-time God or a full-time father? Father. You want an emergency God or an ever-present father? Because sometimes we live like we want a part-time God. I'll pray when I need you. I'll worship when I feel like it. Right? I, I wonder if we really understand the value of what it means to worship. We probably have more believers that worship Trump than Jesus, or worship Biden. Either way, it's an idol. And so God calling us into this place where we have to determine what level of life we're doing with Jesus. And God wants us to hear his voice. Why? Because it's so powerful. I I got thinking this week about the voice of God. It's a big thing for me. My wife spends a lot of time, she has a closet she goes into. So every now and then she comes out of the closet. You'll get it later. And so she'll go in and she'll sit in her closet for hours and hours and and she locks the door. So I don't know if she's sleeping or if she's actually just spending time with the Lord, but I think she's spending time with the Lord. I'll give her that. So here's the thing about the voice of God. When God speaks things, listen to this, they already exist. He is not creating anything new. Now think about that for a moment. So God's not giving you something new when he speaks something into your life. Right? He never recreates himself. He doesn't recreate himself for you. He said, he told Israel, I am that I am. I am who I am. So he's always the same. But when he's speaking things to you, the purpose for that is for those things that already exist to now manifest themselves in your life. And he wants you to partner with his voice. Want an example? Let me give you an example. Isaiah 53 and 5. And with the stripes that wounded him. We are healed and made whole. Now, let me show you this in this verse. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are. The word are is I, me, not I, you. Anyway, it's a joke. It's I, me. It's I, M, E, E. And here's what it means. The word are means have, am, being, and Was. Here's how this verse reads in the, in the original language. And with the stripes that wounded him, we have, we're being, we already were, and am healed. That's a powerful verse. It, and let me just tell you, I, I, this is what I really feel like is happening in the church, not just here, everywhere. God is not, God's not saying you've had it wrong. Here's what God's saying. He's taken truth that we've had And if you spend time with God and hear the voice, he starts expanding it. Let's be honest, just for a minute. Let's just be honest with yourself. If the church is where it needed to be, we'd be turning our communities upside down. The world, the way it is right now, would be running to the church for the answers, for the love, for healing, for deliverance. They would be looking to hear the voice of God from somebody. Here's the thing: they are. So when God speaks something to us, it's already in existence. The danger is is when we start making allowances, we do what, what I call a reduction of truth, where we make it weaker than its fullness right? God, healed. God wants to heal everybody. Well, I know lots of people that didn't get healed. I know lots of people that didn't get saved. Does God want to save everybody? Huh? Was salvation purchased at the cross? Was healing purchased at the cross? <laughs> By your stripes, you are physically, mentally, and emotionally. That's what that word means. The scary thing about when we, we, we bring a reduction to truth is we stop asking for what we have a right to. Right? Listen, let the government take some of your rights. Watch people. They'll fight. I have family in Canada. Me and my wife have been talking to you. You don't want to go to Canada right now. You might as, you might as well go to a communist country somewhere. Youth in Asia is so active, It's unreal. It, what's going on there? We have n- you, most people in the United States have no idea what's happening to the very country that's next to them. I don't know if I should share this because we're recording it. Probably not. My wife says, don't share a dream I had. I won't share it. So if you want to know the dream, come talk to me, I'll talk to you. That's why focus right now is so important in the kingdom. It's not just about the king, but it's about His domain. That's what kingdom means. Kingdom means the king and his domain. It's always king focus. It's always Christ-likeness. The domain part is this sphere of knowledge that we're supposed to live in, this place of influence or activity that we're supposed to be operated in, moving in, living in. It means to be complete, obsolete. And we actually see this in the Old Testament. When Israel was in Egypt and, and Moses was was speaking out, out these judgments against Egypt. the Bible. Here's what God said. I make a distinction between this people and this people. And it wasn't like he didn't give Pharaoh chances to, to repent and turn and let Israel go. We always see that. We say God doomed him for this. God didn't doom him for many. God knew his heart before he even started. My question is, That scripture that says, you know, talks about we are now in the law of life and the spirit in Christ Jesus and we are no longer submitted to the law of sin and death. Here's what's really interesting. It's really hard to find any teachings on that one scripture because people have never been able to define what life and the spirit of life actually looks like in Christ Jesus but I kind of feel like the Lord gave me a hint this week. Ready? What would be the ultimate law of the New Testament church and life in Christ Jesus? It's the law of love. And I'm going to give you some scripture. And I'm going to pray over you, lay hands on you, get all Pentecostal on you. I'm just choking. Calm down. Right? The law of life in Christ Jesus is the exact same as the law of love. The the love of God is meant to restore all the desires that God has for us. We're supposed to feel those desires. He's supposed to build us up successfully. We were created for relationship, community, and intimacy. And the first true discovery of the law of life in Christ Jesus is the discovery that he loves you. Without it, it's gonna be hard for you to do life in Christ Jesus. So watch this. In 1 John 4 and 8, the Passion Translation says this. The one who doesn't love has yet to what? Say it again. The one who doesn't love. There is no life in Christ Jesus if you don't know how to love. You've not received love. For God is, it's the most absolute statement of all times. Here's what it's saying. The very nature of God, his character is pure love. Look at 1 John 4 and 12. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor. But if we love one another, God makes his permanent home in us and we make our permanent home in him. And his love is brought to what? It's what? Say it out loud. Full expression in us. What's the full expression of, of, of God love in us? What, what is it? It's life in Christ Jesus. Okay, one more. 1 John 5 and 3. These are all 1 John because John was an amazing guy. I'll talk a little bit about them. 1 John 5 and 3, the Passion Translation says, True love for God means obeying his commandments, and his commands don't weigh us down as heavy burdens. How many of y'all know? Marriage, when you're in love, is amazing. Hopefully, you're still in love. You should, you, guy really missed, you guys missed a great spot for an amen. I'm telling you, you just blew it right there. You, you could have got some sugar tonight. Listen, so um, here's the thing about marriage. Listen to this. I want you to see this. When you're married and you're in love, the qualifications of commitment to marriage aren't a burden. So I don't have an affair with my wife because I love her. I don't walk around going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. I I can't go to the mall because I'm just scared. You know, there'll be somebody there who want to have an affair. I I can't go to Publix because I'll be scared. You don't live that way. You adjust the laws of your life around the fact that you are intimately in love with the person that you're in covenant with. Works the same way. Works the exact same way. Now let me tell you a little bit about John. John's greatest—if you ever look into the history of John—it's amazing. John's greatest ongoing discovery, as he gets older in his journey, simply led him to a greater love, a level of the love of the Father. When John was asked to speak after the Gospels, John was the longest, uh, the last living disciple who actually followed Jesus. And they would ask John to get up and speak. I mean, you can look in the history books. It's really interesting. Some of the Jews that write about this, some of the rabbis, it's amazing. When John, Messianic rabbis, when John would get up to speak, he would get up and say this, love God, love others, and sit down. He wouldn't get up and say, hey, you're doing this, stop it. He wouldn't get up in shame. He wouldn't get up in rebuke. He would just simply get up. I mean, if you look at the history of John's life, later on in life, he had this revelation of the law of love of life in Christ Jesus. And he realized that the, the very foundation of the kingdom, the very law, the most intimate law of the kingdom was the law of love. And the sad thing is, you know, we have a hard enough time loving each other There's no way to love the world. Why? Because if you don't love your brother, John said, the love of God is not in you. It's absent. I've done a lot of repenting over this message. Anybody here been hurt by anybody? Yeah? The rest of you are liars. (laughs) I'll, I'll rebuke that out in a minute. We've all been hurt. In Revelations chapter 1, 12 to 20, John is dealing with the seven churches. And he's speaking, if you read it, he's speaking from the heart of Jesus. And these seven churches are seen, sometimes people say the seven ages of the church. Some say they're, the churches are seven types of something. The reality is this. When you look at every church, the main thing that John's dealing with is he's trying to point them back to intimate relationship. He rebukes Ephesus of their first love, but if you read all seven churches and you look at the character of the churches, John is saying you're all missing the value of who he is. You're missing the value of who he is. Now watch this. I love this story. Uh, This is Matthew 22. I'm going to read this a little bit for you. Uh, I just I think this is a very powerful story. Get it here. Uh, So the Pharisees are pretty pleased because Jesus has answered the Sadducees with some pretty solid answers. And the Pharisees and Sadducees were kind of the same but different. You know, some believed that when you got resurrected, you you got married in heaven. Some didn't. Some believed in the resurrection. Some didn't. So they had these two different beliefs, even though they were both of the same culture to some degree. So the Pharisees were really excited that, that he had stunted the Sadducees. So they they went and asked one of the religious scholars to go ask him some questions. And that's what's happening in the story. Here's what he says. Then one of them, a religious scholar, posed a question to him to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest law? Are you catching this? Watch this. Jesus answered him, love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart with all the energy of your being, with every thought that is within you. This is the great and supreme commandment. And listen, I, w- I want you to catch what's happening here. This is really heavy. And then I'll, I'll, I'll try to close. I got so much here, it would just, your head would go, wow, how, I, how come I've never seen that? Watch this. So he's saying, this is it. This is the law. He's talking to a group of people of people who have 613 laws. They got the 10 commandments and they've got a, a few other laws about leprosy, which we don't have to you know, put into place today, but they've got a majority of hundreds of laws that they've actually developed themselves. For us, it would be like never walk under a ladder. Be careful when, when, when a black cat runs across the road in front of your car. If we were to create laws, that's the kind of laws we would be creating. Hey, hey, throw salt over your shoulder when you go into a restaurant and you see what, this or see that, whatever it may be. These guys have 160, 613 laws. They're sending this guy to trick Jesus, and all of a sudden, Jesus sums 1613 laws up into one. Now watch, because the next verse is funny. This is verse 39 and 40. It says, and the second, it's not be up there, it's here though, you can look it up. And the second is like it in importance. You must love your friend in the same way you love yourself. Contained within these commandments to love, you will find the meaning of the law and the prophets. He's saying, to love God and love your neighbor is one big wa- one big law. Can you imagine how mad these Jews were? You're telling us that we we can live Listen, the listeners that were listening besides the Jews had never heard a doctrine like this in their entire life. Their spiritual leaders were teaching them that they would have to follow 613 laws perfectly to have this intimate relationship with God. And along comes Jesus and says, now there's actually only one law. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, me and my wife talk about the power of unlearning because I hear people say to me all the time, Yeah, but if I believe that, that makes this, 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 and this maybe not true. Can you imagine how the Jews were feeling? The Jews are saying, Well, if I accept that law and I embrace one law, listen, I hear people say, oh, The Christian life is so hard. Let me ask you a question if you only had to obey one law, how hard would it be? One law. See, what we do is we actually develop laws for ourselves, which we choose to live in. I've done it. You ever go to pray for something, you have a real need, and you kneel down to pray, and all of a sudden you feel like, I'm not worthy to even ask for this. You know what happened? You've stepped out of the law of life in Christ Jesus. You've now stepped into some concept religious or legalistic concept that is now has the power to open your thinking in your life up to a sin concept and lead you in and not listen let me just say this spiritual death spiritual sin this is such an awakening for me if anything when you're hearing voices of shame condemnation and judgment when you're, when you're hearing fear, when you're hearing all these unhealthy voices, they should be a red flag to you that your focus is off. That you're looking to the wrong law to function within your life. It's that easy. Religion and legalism are taskmasters, right? They make you work. And if we try to live for God from just acceptable behavior to be accepted from God we are living in a performance law I've been there done that we're trying to do life with performance laws that we have made up or we've been taught from childhood that you think you've got rid of and I think I got rid of but every now and then the holy spirit touches some place in my life and goes there's a little bit of religion you got left in you hey, there's a little room there you got with a little bit of legalism in it. He doesn't rebuke me, he just says, hey, would you let my love touch that? Why? Because my love is full of acceptance. It's not full of shame. It's not full of fear. Not full of rejection. And I think, I think to some degree... It could be a part of what's keeping us being who we need to be to some degree to the world because we struggle with our own relationship. And what we do is we put burdens and yokes on our own life. I did it through all my... Listen, I would go in and get saved on Sunday and buy, buy a bag of weed on Monday my entire life in church to the point when I was 16, I left home. That's the reality of it. I got saved every weekend or when I got in serious trouble. Usually it was at sea when I thought I was going to drown, I'd get saved. Throw my dope over the boat, and then when I got back in town safe, I'd buy more dope. That was the ongoing agreement I had with God. Part-time relationship. Why? Why? because I lived in this place of burdens and yokes where Christianity actually looked impossible for me. There's no way I could do it. There's no way. Listen, when Jesus was speaking this to the people and they're going, how come we've never heard this before? How come our spiritual leaders have never taught us this before? Who's told us that it could not be this simple? Who's told us that? Jesus said this in Matthew 11, 28 and 30. Are you weary, labored? The word weary means to be heavy with. It means to carry a cargo on your back. Some of us, us, it's not we're trying to produce works. Some of us are just carrying so much stuff on our backs from the past. The very thing is keeping us from, and hindering us from experiencing the counter of God. Because you've come up, with a legalistic or some form of law with how the way God's supposed to engage with you. That's the worst, you know, I I love my inheritance. I love being Pentecostal, the experience. But in my Pentecostal experience growing up, I I grew up with so many rules. I mean, I was a kid. I remember my grandmother telling me, you can't skate and play hockey on Sunday. If you do, the ice will open up and you'll get Swallowed. And I remember sneaking out going. (laughs) Freaking out about this truth and missing it. He says, you carry heavy burdens. That means work. That means when you start to toil, when you start to strive. Listen to how beautiful this is. Listen to how simple this is. Listen to me. Come to me. Not when you get rid of your burdens and your yokes, you and I will talk. You deal with your burdens and yokes, and you and I will get along. This is a beautiful translation, the Passion Translation. Come to me, I will refresh your life, for I am an oasis. Listen to this. Simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways, and you'll discover that I am gentle. I'm humble, I'm easy to please. You will find refreshment and rest in me for all that I require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear. Isn't that beautiful? That's the power of love. My, You know, I, I, I pray for our people, I pray for our businesses every day, I pray for our, our, our leadership every day, I pray for our elders and our... Fivefold. I pray for all of our congregation. And that that prayer has shifted to, Father, let them experience your love. If you're gonna do anything in our church, let them experience love. See, Jesus flipped it in Mark, Matthew 10 and 30. He said this, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's the way he just flipped it. So I want you to stand. Go ahead and stand with me. <clears throat> I could go on. I've got so much scripture here. I'm just, <clears throat> I want to make this statement to you. I want you to hear it, okay? Typed it down. So I'm going to read it from my notes. You don't become a new person by changing your behavior. You, be, you discover who you are in Christ and your behavior changes as a consequence from that. Say it again. You don't become a new person by changing your behavior. You discover who you are in Christ and your behavior changes as a consequence of that discovery. How many of you have been trying to change your behavior? You actually think that your behavior is going to be the thing that changes the heart of God towards you. Let me just say this. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. Isn't that a great statement? Here's a better statement. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Ever. And he is pulling his bride in so close. He's he's so intentional with his voice right now. And and I I hear a lot of people saying, I'm just not hearing the voice of God. All I can say is you're just not listening. You may have to fend, spend a few days in your closet with, with your journal, sitting there twiddling your fingers, wondering what's going on. But ask him, clear my ears, clear my mind. Help me discover who you are. Help me learn who you are. See, we, and, and I'm talking about my own experience. Because I study so much, and I really do, I love the word. I loved the word when I first got saved. The problem with that is I became head-driven, not heart-driven, And what happens when you're head-driven is, head-driven always puts relationship into judgment. Because you're just reading things that are not penetrating your heart. They're not going from here to here. I don't know what it is, 13, 14, 12 inches from here to here. Whatever it is, there's this gap. When you're heart-driven, Everything that happens to you puts you into the love and grace of God. What's the difference? Stop being so sin conscious. Start becoming grace, love, and righteousness conscious. You'll live differently. It'll change who you are. Let's close your eyes for a moment. even faith is a consequence of love faith worketh in love I don't have enough faith you're not in love with Jesus enough you can't believe correctly without intimacy you know why Jesus healed everybody he came in contact with want to know why his love was right there was not one person that he passed by when he, that was sick that he was not moved with compassion to say, it's not my will for you to be like this. So you need to ask yourself a couple of questions? First of all, what voice am I listening to that is robbing me of the voice of the Father's love towards me? These are questions I've had to ask myself. The second question is, what voice am I listening to that makes me feel unworthy of who God says he is for me? That's a big one. That's when God starts pulling the flesh off hidden scars and saying, oh, you've hidden this, but you've never really gotten rid of it. And what atmosphere are you living in that keeps you too busy for time with the lover of your soul and your heart? Those, those are simplistic questions the Lord asked me. Oh, I've, I've studied just to preach, and then I've studied for heart transformation. It's a totally different, totally different animal. Let me pray over you. Father, you are so kind and so good. You love us so much and you're so, so amazing. If there are any thoughts, anything that's, that's planted itself in our hearts and lives tonight to rob us of the revelation of the one law we just have to get a hold of. It's the law of love. Do something in us. Free us. Change us. Lord, I pray for your fresh voice to be heard in the ears of everybody in this room. When they're driving down the road, when they're walking through the grocery store, whatever they're doing, when they're home and and sitting down to do something to relax, Lord, all of a sudden captivate them. Captivate their hearts. Let them hear your voice in a fresh way. Touch them. Awaken them. There's something new. We don't live in the old law. That's why we needed a new one. We don't live in the old covenant. That's why we needed a new one. Let them grasp that for themselves. We have altar workers tonight. Is there a couple here tonight? Come up if you're an altar worker. If you're not, well, don't come up. We're going, to have, we're going to ask people, if you need prayer tonight, if you want somebody to pray with you tonight, please don't leave. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus and his love, come see me. I want to hug your neck and pray with you. And look at me really intently. You need to hear this. God really, 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 really loves you. No matter where you've been, no matter who you are, he, he's not that way. <laughs> the, the worst thing that we can do is we we create a value system in the kingdom, kingdom, and, and and we can teach the people around us that the greatest value in the kingdom is success. And the worst thing is failure. But you know God doesn't care about either? Let me say that again. God doesn't care about either. When, he's, when he looks at you through love, he doesn't look at either. Either. They're not even on his mind. And here's what we do. We actually teach our children to celebrate success and devalue failure. We have a warped love. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have learned some of your greatest lessons from failure? See, we're creating a culture that does not carry the value of the love of God. And I've been a part of it. I've been a part of the culture and a part of creating the culture of 30 years of ministry. And right now, God's trying to shift the bride so we can go out there and be and represent that God is really 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 amazing if we have gifts power influence without love we just become a church gone wild there's videos out there you can watch church gone wild videos all the time we we love the crazy stuff we get excited but to the unbeliever it's extremely scary why because we can function in those things without them being empowered by love. When somebody's somebody's being delivered, if the people around are going, phew, I just feel this overwhelming love right now. That guy's really ministering, that girl's really ministering to that woman. I feel feel this compassion that she has for that person to be free. It's done from love or healing or, or prophetic or prophecy or words of knowledge or whatever it is. You're going to go online and watch some of those crazy church videos, aren't you? They're mostly Pentecostal. I just pre-warned you. (laughs) Let me just say this. If you've got something that the, the Holy Spirit has highlighted in your life tonight, just come. Let these people pray with you. Let them prophesy of you. Let them encourage you in the Lord. Do that tonight.